Somebody ought to just wear back on a Tuesday night and let the devil know I've got victory tonight. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Woo! You know, it means something different when a child of God says this means war. When somebody said this means war, that means we about to fight about something. And depending on who's more determined and more skilled and more powerful, we'll determine who comes out the victor. But when a child of God says, my Bible tells me, now thanks be unto God, which does always cause us to triumph. When I let hell know this means war, I'm basically telling hell, I'm about to put a beat down on you because there's no way you can win. All those sleepless nights, uh, this means war. All those struggles I've been dealing with, this means... One more time, somebody ought to just shout uh, at the top of your lungs, uh, this means... Somebody clap your hands one more time and give him praise. Woo! You excited to be in the house of the Lord tonight? My God, it feels like anything could happen in this atmosphere. Amen? High five about six people on the way to your seat. Tell them this means war. Let me translate. This means victory. In one place, the enemy had God's people surrounded. Bible says that they went to praying to God, said, Lord, what should we do? Jesus said, the battle belongs to me, not to you. You're not going to have to fight the battle. Just send Judah in front of the army. In other words, he said, all I need you to do uh, is step to the side uh, and give me the praise. Uh, and let God arise. Woo! Amen, amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. I want to take just a moment to say what a privilege it is to have all of our guests in the house of the Lord with us. Would you put your hands together one more time to welcome all of our guests that are here tonight? Amen. Thank you for joining us at midweek Tuesday night at the Rock Church to all of those who are streaming online tonight. You're missing it. You're missing it if you're not here tonight. But we're grateful that you had the opportunity to tune in. And uh, we feel like God's doing something amazing in this house tonight. Amen. It's so good to look up and to see uh, a handful of great folks all the way from Bradenton here tonight. Calvary Apostolic Church in the house. Amen. We love them. So 
grateful for what the Lord is doing in Bradenton, Florida, and uh, through Pastor and First Lady Parker in this church, and uh, we're, we're thankful for that. And it is so wonderful tonight to have Sister Stewart's mother with us tonight. I'm just going to call her Mama Tammy. It's good to have her in the house of the Lord. Come on, we can do better than that help. Let's give her a great big Fort Myers welcome tonight. Oh, yeah. She's got a brand new vacation spot to come hang out, and we're delighted that she's here. And uh, if you would be in prayer tomorrow, Brother Stewart has to go in for a, a surgery on his hip, a, uh, a procedure, and we know the Lord's already gone before him. Amen? And uh, he's going to come out stronger and uh, ready to do everything that God's put in his heart to do. Amen? Anybody grateful to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Anybody excited that Bishop Booker's going to be here with us on Sunday? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Grab everybody you know. Get them to the house of the Lord Sunday. It's going to be an amazing time in the Holy Ghost. He'll be here Sunday morning, Sunday night. He's going to be with us again on Tuesday night. And uh, what a great way to lead us right into Impact Youth Conference. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, if you would, for the entrance of the Word of the Lord tonight. I want to hasten to the Word of God and uh, want to direct your attention first to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi, chapter 3, verse, verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. But before we do that, I'm not going to do this two weeks in a row. You can be seated for just a moment. Last week, I asked Brother Seth Parker to come and greet the congregation. He came all the way up here and sat here, and I got carried away talking. And he just kind of said, well, I don't know what that was all about. So tonight I said, no, 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 you didn't get to say hello, come up. And I almost did it again. Lord, help us. I need a cheeseburger quick. Lord, help us. I love this great young man of God, Brother Seth Parker. Amen. What an awesome young man fulfilling the call of God on his life, laboring alongside his parents in Bradenton. Powerful young man. So good to have not only him but his precious wife with us here tonight. And uh, they're newlyweds, probably still honeymooning. And uh, this, is, this is just what they do for date night. They come out to, to the house of God and have church. Amen. But I want him to come and greet this congregation tonight. Would you put your hands together? Welcome again tonight, Brother Seth Parker. We love you. Praise the Lord, everybody. How many is excited about what God's doing in Florida? How many is excited about the new souls that we're seeing come to the house of God? Every service. Hey, you've come too late to tell me that people ain't hungry for what we got. What we've got is the real deal, and that's what they're looking for. They're looking for the real Holy Ghost, the real anointing. See, religion has failed. Religion has failed. People, people are looking to the church and, and everything, and they're looking for help, but they fail them because they ain't got what it takes. 
But I believe I'm standing in a church tonight that knows exactly what it takes. It takes a relationship with God. It takes dedication and consecration to God. It takes a life living for God, not just on Sunday and not just on Tuesday night, but an everyday relationship with God. Hallelujah. It's an honor and a privilege to be in this place tonight. The devil is mad. Revival is happening and the devil's mad and I'm glad about it. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that the devil is mad and I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. I'm going to keep on knocking doors. I'm going to keep on teaching Bible studies. You hear me? Brother Leo, you keep running that van. You keep teaching them Bible studies. Hey, the devil's mad and I'm glad about it. Come on, put your hands together and give God praise. Hallelujah. Sometimes we say, ain't ain't nobody mad but the devil. Tell your neighbor, ain't nobody mad but the devil. Hallelujah. Amen. You can stand for the second time. (laughs) Amen. Brother Bennett, all right tonight? Good to see you, Brother Bennett. You doing good? Amen. Love him. I don't know why the microphone's doing that. It's good to have my niece Carly with us. She came in early for impact. We're grateful she's here. Love her very much. And uh, thankful for what the Lord is doing. Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Now, anytime a preacher announces that they are going to take Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 through 11 as a text, we automatically suppose that they are going to be preaching and teaching about tithing and offering. Well, I will tell you on the outset, I am not going to be preaching and teaching about tithing and offering tonight. However, we could, and we would have amazing church tonight, preaching about tithing and offering. Woo! Because this is a giving church. By the way, we have $36,000 pledged for impact, and 26000 has come in already. Amen? You're thankful for that. The rest of you holding that $10,000, hurry and get it here before Sunday in Jesus' name. We need it. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who's giving and uh, has the vision and the provision uh, to see God do what he's doing this week. So we are not going to be preaching about tithing and offering, but I do want to read Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. When you have it, somebody say Amen. It says, bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven. Ah, Just like that. That's what it sounds like when he opens the windows of heaven. If I will not open you the windows of heaven... And pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed. Somebody say amen. Now to the book of Psalms, chapter number 1. 
Psalms chapter number one, verse number one. It says, blessed is the man. And if you're a woman, you could just say, woman. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now while these two texts seem to be uh, disassociated one from the other, I want to do my best tonight to synthesize these two texts and bring to us a revelation of understanding concerning one of the ontological premises of God's word tonight. I simply want to preach for a few minutes, teach however it comes out, about the culture of blessing. The culture of blessing. One more time, put your Bibles down. Let's clap our hands and thank God for his word tonight. Come on, let's thank God for his word tonight. Amen, amen. You may be seated. It is important to us as Christians that if we are going to live a life successfully to please God and to be everything that God wants us to be, then it behooves us to have an understanding of the kingdom of God. In the word of the Lord, one writer said, with all thy getting, get understanding. I don't just want to have the Holy Ghost with goosebumps going down my back on Sunday night. I want understanding. I don't want to just shout and dance because the music's good and I feel the presence of God. I want understanding. The Bible says that my people are destroyed not because they don't know how to shout, not because they don't know how to dress, but because there is a lack of knowledge. There's a lack of understanding. And so it is with that in mind that if we are going to be students of God's word, we must be captivated by the call of his word to understand his principles, to understand the premise of God's word and his will for our lives and how his word pertains to our day-to-day -day living. His word is not just for Sunday morning. His word's not just for Sunday night or Tuesday night Bible study, but his word is there as a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway to guide me every single day. And as you begin to study the word of the Lord, you will find that there are many different uh, examples in scripture that we could talk about tonight, things that God uses in order to communicate to us the principles contained in the text. He does his best to bring something that is infinite and bring it to the understanding of our finite mind. 
He does this by using particular examples, sometimes anthropomorphic expressions that help us to relate to the Word of God. When the Bible talks about the hand of God, you understand that God is a spirit. He is not flesh, and how can a spirit have a hand? But there is the anthropomorphic expression of the hand that helps us to get in our mind's eye the imagery of the human body reaching for humanity, the hand of God writing something. And so uh, as, as you begin to study, you'll find these things that, God disseminates to us to try to understand his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is, is like a treasure that is hid in a field. God is using these as examples for us to understand. The, the kingdom of God is, is like the mustard seed. And, and, and so it is through these concepts that we gain revelation of God's word. One of these uh, principles and revelations in God's word that I want to lift from the text tonight in order to help us get to the subject matter of our study is found in the book of Galatians chapter number 7 uh, verse or chapter number 6 verse number 7. It says to us that God is not mocked. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. This is a principle and a law of God. It is an important law of God that you must understand because if you are ignorant to the laws of God, then you can get yourself in trouble. There are particular laws that govern the kingdom of God just like there are particular laws that govern the natural world that you and I live in. For example, the law of gravity can anybody give a scientific explanation about the law of gravity? Very quickly, please, anybody. Scientific, very scientific. I want, scientific? Sister Rebecca want to attempt a scientific explanation? That's not scientific. It's scientific. Anybody? See, see, most of us have a basic understanding of gravity, but we, may not, we can't explain all the details. We just know that it works. But if, if you don't understand and respect gravity, gravity will hurt you. Because gravity is going to be gravity whether you understand it or not. If you happen to walk off the edge of that platform and forget about gravity, gravity will not forget about you. You will feel the effects of gravity whether or not you understand it. And there are particular laws. Now I'm going somewhere. I know I'm going slow. Just follow me. There are particular laws that govern God's kingdom that if you do not understand them, you, you can become frustrated at times in life because, because you don't understand how the kingdom of God works. This is one of those laws. It is called the law of harvest. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And the reason it's important to understand this is because if you don't understand the law of harvest, oftentimes we will get frustrated at the things that we are reaping in life, not understanding that they are simply the result of what we have been sowing in our life. And so you have to have a revelation of the law of harvest, uh, that whatsoever a man sows, uh, that shall he also reap. It is such a powerful law. The Bible says that God is not mocked. 
this is how it is going to happen. I believe that's one of the reasons that God abhors the sin of homosexuality and lesbianism because it flies in the face of the natural law of God to reproduce. Two species of the same sex cannot reproduce fruit. And any time there is seed sown without the potential of harvest, it is against the law and the nature of God. It is the unnatural use of the body. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so we find this premise in Scripture, and, and you can find it clear back even in uh, the book of Genesis. There is uh, this premise of harvest that something is planted, and, and it comes forth out of the ground. And, and, and later on in Scripture, uh, the Bible begins to give us this principle in a very practical manner. For example, the Word of the Lord says, if a man has friends, he must first show himself friendly. That's the law of harvest. You can't expect to have friends if you have not sown the seed of friendship. You can't walk into a group of people and expect everybody to be your friend and reap the harvest of friendship when you have not sown friendliness into the soil. Amen, somebody. You are going to reap whatever it is that you have planted. You cannot plant seeds of dishonesty and then expect to reap the rewards of honesty. You cannot plant fruits uh, of bitterness and expect to reap the harvest uh, of things that are sweet in your life. Whatsoever a man sows, uh, that shall he also reap. Are you following me? It's the law of harvest. And one of the things that I want you to think about tonight is if, if you take a look and zoom out from the law of harvest, you will realize that there is another premise, a thematical premise of God, an ontological premise of God across Scripture that even supersedes the law of harvest, and it is concerning the premise of agriculture. There is a theme of agriculture throughout the entire Scripture that is important to the Christian life. Now, some of y'all poke your neighbor, tell him, neighbor, wake up. We're going to get to the good stuff in a moment, but I need your attention to give you some context. Agriculture is the oldest culture in the Bible. It is the oldest culture in the Bible. If you break down the word agriculture etymologically, it's a compound word, agriculture. The word agri simply means a field Culture simply means to work or cultivate that field. Agriculture is simply preparing a particular field so that it can produce fruitfulness. Agriculture is the oldest culture in the Word of God. We find agriculture clear back in the book of Genesis. In the creation uh, of the earth, when, when God begins to speak, he says, let the earth bring forth every herb yielding plant and seed. There is a process of plants coming out of the ground from seed format. Agriculture. Uh, you're familiar with culture because it's a very popular word in our society today. We talk about culture all the time. Multi-culture 
rule. When you speak of culture in that context, you are simply trying to describe that there is a particular fruit that comes from that kind of a field. In this culture, you are identifying a group of of product that comes from a certain field. That is a particular culture. And the world has taken the word culture and, 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 and used another word that they've been divisive with the church over, and that is the word cult. The word cult simply is short for culture. And there, anything that has a commonality or a consistency of, of commonality has a culture. If you go to uh, your job and you work at Moe's, there is a culture there. When you walk in, they say, y'all are affected by the culture of Moe's. And you can go in there and get a little, the little Joey or the little baggy bag of donuts or what's Joey bag of donuts. I don't remember all the, see, when, when you come off a of seven-day fast, you just preach about food. But it is a culture. And so if you wanted to, you could say they are a cult. Because there is a, a culture there. And so, so the society tries to take that word and plaster it on the church and, and somehow be divisive with it. So, you know, you're not going to control what the world says about the church anyway. So let me just take a few moments. That way, if you want to call the church a cult, let's make sure you can at least identify the culture of this church. Around here we have a culture of preaching that there's only one God. Around here we have a culture of teaching scripture that declares his name is Jesus. In this church we have a culture of preaching that there is only one gospel, the everlasting gospel. In this church, we preach uh, what the apostles preached, uh, and it is our culture to preach uh, that you must repent of your sins, uh, be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sin, and ye will receive the gift uh, of the Holy Ghost uh, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. In this church, we have a culture of preaching uh, that without holiness, uh, no man can see the Lord. That's some of the culture. So, so if you want to call that a cult, go ahead. Just make sure you know how to define the culture of the church. Agriculture is the cultivation of a particular field. And so this ideology of, of agriculture can be found all the way through the Bible. There is a, a, a prominence of this theme throughout scriptures. Agricultural themes pop up all over scripture. And what is interesting to note is that as you begin to get into the New Testament, there is a dynamic shift and this thematic principle is no longer objective, but it becomes subjective. No longer is the agricultural focus on things or objects like fields and plants, but the agricultural theme becomes people, subjects. It becomes, we are not growing things, but it is now the process of people that are becoming. 
There is an idea in Scripture that there is a process of agriculture that is associated with being what God wants you to be. And so it is with this premise and idea, and, and that's just my introduction tonight, that we get into the subject matter of tonight's lesson. When you begin to read Psalm chapter number 1, he begins by saying, Blessed is the man. That's a powerful statement right there because I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed. <laughs> blessed is the man. But what you must understand before we move further into the text uh, is that the blessing that comes to man is not something that happens without the involvement of man. We too many times look at the blessing of God as if God is sitting in heaven deciding like a lottery who he wants to bless and who he is going to withhold the blessing from. And we get this idea in our mind that there's some people that are blessed and there's other people that just can't be blessed. And, and so there's this ideology that God just randomly decides who he plays favorites with and wants to bless. But can I tell you tonight that that is not how blessing comes to your life. The blessing of God comes to your life through the process of cultivation. The blessing of God comes to your life through the process of agriculture in your life. It involves you working some things in the kingdom of God if you want his blessing to flow to your life. Why are you preaching this? Because Again, if you don't understand these kingdom concepts, then you will live your whole life wondering why you don't have blessing in your life, frustrated because you see other people walking in the blessing of God when really if you had a revelation of the principle of the culture of blessing, you would understand that God wants to bless me. I've just got to get busy doing what his word said to do uh, in order for my life uh, to be blessed. What I want to know tonight, uh, is there anybody in the building uh, that wants to be uh, blessed by God? I wonder what the rest of y'all are thinking tonight. Uh, how about the rest of you? Uh, are you interested uh, in the blessing of God in your life? Turn around and tell your neighbor, God wants to bless you. Tell you other number, God wants to bless you. God doesn't want to just bless brother so-and-so and just bless sister so-and-so. God's got a blessing with your name on it. Oh. And it begins by you understanding that there is a, here's my title, culture of blessing. There is a process of cultivation that happens in your life that brings about the blessing of God. Now, I don't have time to preach all of this because we'd be here for five hours tonight. But there, I, I, want, I, want to, I want to drill down into a particular vein of this tonight. Blessed is the man. And before the writer goes on to any of the rest of the text, it is important to understand that he begins to address an important dynamic in agriculture, and that is the dynamic 
of environment. Environmental understanding is critical to agriculture. Did you know that even in the United States, it is divided into particular zones for agriculture? And depending on what zone you're in, you experience the seasons differently than other zones experience them. At different times, the temperature, the humidity, the barometric pressures are different in different areas. And so if you don't have a revelation of the importance of environment, you will try to plant the seed at the same time somebody else does and have completely different results. And while their crop comes up and yours doesn't, you'll think that God doesn't love you. When in fact it has nothing to do with God's love for you, it has everything to do with your lack of understanding concerning culture. There are particular uh, plants, there are particular uh, vegetables and fruits that grow better in other places. And you, you, you have to be aware of climate and environment. Environment is critical to agriculture. And so, uh, as a matter of fact, if you uh, were, were to do a little bit of studying concerning agriculture, you would find that you can buy seed that is a lot better than the seed you can buy at Home Depot uh, or Lowe's. You can go to particular companies that sell high quality seed that is called certified seed. Certified seed means that they have genetically engineered and produced this seed and they have tested its yield rate. Is this all right tonight? And they guarantee that when you plant this seed, it has a particular yield rate. It can produce a certain percentage, high percentage of that seed is going to produce fruit. You can have certified seed that has a guarantee on it. But if you don't understand environment, even certified seed will not produce fruit. I say that because God's word is certified seed. He said, my word will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish the thing whereunto I sent it. God's word never comes back empty-handed. There are other variables like the ground that it falls on, and I don't have time to preach about the theology of the ground tonight, but some seed falls on stony soil, and it cannot uh, absorb the seed and so it can't grow another seed is cast by the wayside and, and, and I don't have time to get onto that that's one dynamic uh, but also the environment has to be right and the seed as good as it is if it doesn't hit the right environment uh, then it can never produce fruit in one place, the Bible says that the word of the Lord was made of none effect to them, that it, that it did not benefit them, not being mixed with faith. The word of the Lord went into a faithless environment, and when God's word goes into a faithless environment, the word is certified, but the environment isn't. And so it doesn't produce a result. And so environment is critical to understand. Now, you didn't know all this is just packed in, blessed is the man. And so as you begin to read Psalm 1, he gives us three don'ts and one do concerning environment. Environment. Tell your neighbor environment. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. He is 
giving us the prescription for cultivating God's blessing in our life. And the first thing he addresses is environment. If you want God's blessing to be cultivated in your life, you must make sure that you are not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Because ungodly counsel, your environment uh, exposed to ungodly counsel brings a level of toxicity that works against uh, God's blessing uh, being produced uh, in your life. Oh, that's why he said, come out from among them and be ye separate, uh, saith the Lord, uh, and touch not uh, the unclean thing, uh, and I will receive you uh, unto myself. Why? Because as long uh, as you've got the ungodly thing uh, in your environment, uh, it is working against uh, the cultivation of God's blessing coming into your life. Ungodly counsel. What's ungodly counsel? Ungodly counsel are words of influence from people that do not line up with God's principles, that are born from a place of impure motive. Ungodly counsel. If you subject yourself to ungodly counsel, it is words. And words are influencing your thought process. Speech and words. Somebody's talking to you. I'm just informing you of something. That word in, form. I am forming. I am shaping your thought process. I am affecting how you think. Ungodly counsel is shaping the thought process in an ungodly way. I am yielding an influence. Now I'm going somewhere, follow me. Ungodly counsel. But if you want God's blessing to be cultivated in your life, you have to look out for ungodly counsel. And when ungodly counsel comes to you, you have to say, hey, uh-uh, I, I, I ain't got time for that. Sorry, uh, I got to get off the phone call. Sorry, I'm running late for an appointment. I got to go. Uh, sorry, uh, my time's up. I've got to run. Uh, sorry, why? Uh, because I can't let ungodly counsel uh, mess up God's blessing uh, that I'm trying to cultivate uh, in my life. Uh, I'm working too hard uh, to have God's blessing in my life uh, to let ungodly counsel uh, begin to affect. Don't take your advice and your cues from people who are not living a life that is committed to God. I don't care if it's your mom, your dad, your uncle Herman, Auntie Nene, Cousin Ed. I don't care if they're doctors, lawyers, king of all the earth. If they're not godly, and they're not rooted in godliness and speaking godliness, you don't need ungodly counsel in your life. Oh, my word. McDonald's cheeseburgers. I hear Satan saying, take thou this 
stones and turn them into bread. <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan. I've, no, what I really feel like is David when they brought him the water in the middle of the battle and he said, uh, uh, they, were, they worked so hard to bring this, I, I can't possibly drink this water. I can't possibly eat the cheeseburgers, so I'm going to put them on the altar unto God. That's the first time somebody put McDonald's cheeseburgers on the altar to God. Instagram moment. First time in history somebody laid some cheeseburgers on the altar to God. Either that or they really think I'll do better preaching if I'll eat them cheeseburgers. <laughs> Please, Bishop, eat the cheeseburgers. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. I'm not going to walk around with ungodly people. I'm not going to subject myself to conversations with people that are not living the way God wants them to live. I'm sorry, I love you, I pray for you, but I'm not going to keep counsel with ungodly influence. Why? Because I understand that it will affect the environment and the culture of blessing in my life. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Then, then he says, don't stand in the way of the sinner. What does he mean by that? What it means is don't get in the environment of the sinner until you start learning their ways. You cannot fellowship with sin and it not affect who you become. I'm sorry. If your friends and your circle of people and everybody are people that are, that are not godly, that are not living, their influence uh, will affect uh, who you become. You see, there are intrinsic behaviors that people have that when you are around them long enough, they will begin to rub off on you. Intrinsic. You don't even realize it's happening. It's just I watch it happen all the time. Brother John Sferlaza, who is our incredible youth pastor. He starts hanging around with the young people and all of a sudden, bro, bro, bro. They don't even realize they're doing it. No way. Bro. It's intrinsic. It's just. You hang out in the south long enough, pretty soon you start talking like this right here. Don't even realize you just start twanging and slanging. You stay long enough, you start talking like this just a little bit. I watch people go hang out in the hood for a little while. Yeah. Is that yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Well, they start picking up off. My fr friends get confused because, see, in, in certain communities, when two men walk by each other and they want to be greet each other, they, go, they, they, they nod their head at each other. But in other cultures, when two guys walk and they meet, they go. And when they come together, they don't know what to do. I don't know how to greet people. 
There's intrinsic behaviors that if you stand in the way of the sinner long enough, uh, it will begin to affect uh, your environment. Uh, and that blessing uh, that you're trying to cultivate from God, uh, you, you'll begin to contaminate the soil. And even though God's got a blessing for you and God's got an anointing uh, and God's got promise for your life, uh, it will become stifled uh, by the environment that you have around you. I'm preaching about the culture of blessing. There is a culture to blessing. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner. Now notice that there is a digression of movement that's happening. Because at first, you're walking with the counsel of the ungodly. But once the toxicity of the ungodly counsel affects your thoughts, it's no longer just thoughts. It's behavior. It's the way of the sinner. There is a progression of influence while there is a digression of mobility. First your thoughts, then your behavior. First you're walking, but now you're standing. You're no longer moving. There's a digression caused by the influence. And the third thing he said is, blessed is the man that doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. You were walking... Then you were standing, but at the very lowest level of influence, you are now completely immobilized and you are sitting in the seat of the scornful. And that word scornful, if you were to go home and study it, you would find that it has a close relationship with the idea of somebody who has convinced themselves that they have been rejected. When you study it etymologically, it is connected to the idea of someone who believes they are rejected. And because of their self-imposed feeling of rejection, they superimpose a level of unbelief and bitterness for other people. It is likened, when you, when you begin to cross-reference and study, it is likened to the idea of the children of Israel in the wilderness uh, who murmured and complained. Uh, they, they, they were brought out of Egypt. God did great things for them. He had a promise. But they murmured and they complained. God called it the day of provocation. It was a time where their unbelief got the best of them. Here God parted the waters of the Red Sea and drowned Pharaoh and his army. And yet they couldn't believe God to bring them through a wilderness into a promised land. And so they began to curse God. They began to curse God's leadership. They began to get to a place where they said it would have been better if we would have just stayed. You see, people who are scornful have a propensity to be combative about everything. People that are scornful people have a propensity to be contemptuous about everything. They don't like the way they're doing this and they become complainers. They become murmurers and complainers. Scornful people have a tendency to be armchair quarterbacks. People who who are not in the arena uh, doing anything for God, uh, but they're sitting back in the chair uh, complaining uh, about everything everybody else is doing uh, for God's scornful uh, people. And they have allowed their own uh, unbelief uh, and their own sense of rejection uh, to cause them uh, to become critical uh, of other people. Uh, they become so deceived uh, that they literally uh, would rather be back in Egypt uh, than out 
out here doing what God said to. They literally get a mindset uh, that at least uh, I've got the leeks and the onions. Uh, oh, instead of the hot desert sun, uh, you'll often find backsliders uh, fall into a category of scornfulness uh, where, where they become deceived, uh, a sense of rejection, uh, and they begin to embrace Egypt uh, instead of the promise uh, that God had for them. Uh, but, but they're not content themselves. Uh, let us all go back. Uh, I'm not just content, uh, discontent, but you ought to be discontent. Uh, I'm not just unhappy, uh, but, 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 I, but I'm mad that you're happy uh, because I have a sense that I've been personally rejected by God. And so uh, I can't celebrate uh, you being successful uh, because I'm not successful. Uh, it's the seat uh, of the scornful. Uh, and the seat of the scornful, if you ever let that get in your spirit, uh, it will contaminate uh, the environment of blessing uh, that's in your life. The seed of the scornful. Don't, don't sit in the, the seat of the scornful. Scornful people are encourageable. E-N. Courage. C-O-R-R. Ible. It means no matter what you try, they're going to reject what you try to do to help them. Scornfulness. And when you sit in the seat of the scornful, they walk up to you while you're sitting in the seat. Start trying to talk to you. What's going on right there? I don't like what's happening over there. I don't think that's right over here. I don't think that. What is it? It's the seat of the scornful. And if you sit in the seat of the scornful long enough, it will begin to contaminate the environment of God's blessing being cultivated in your life. Sometimes you've got to learn how to put people in the hands of God. Come on, somebody. I said sometimes you've got to learn how to take them to the Lord in prayer. Oh, I feel like preaching for just a minute up in here. Jesus didn't talk to everybody he met. Jesus learned how to understand those that would receive what he had to say and those that wouldn't receive what he had to say. And there comes a point in time that you've got to put some people in the hand of God and say, listen, if you're not going to listen to God, what makes you think you're going to listen to me? I'm not going to sit in the seat of the scornful. What does the book of Proverbs say? Correct a fool and he'll hate you. You got to learn to let God work on some people. You got to learn to put some people in God's hand and just say, I'm praying for you. Now listen to this, okay. Don't you ever let people try to define the litmus test of love as you being wide open to their toxicity. The definition of love is that I'll just be toxic and you'll just drink the poison. That is not the litmus test of love. Jesus rejected sin. And there's not going to be a single person who misses the rapture and goes to hell that doesn't go there with the love of God loving them. Every person that ends up missing the rapture, God loves them. God didn't want them to be lost. 
but he didn't open the gates of heaven to let sin in. Truth is the truth. The litmus test of his love was not his acceptance uh, of their behavior. Don't you let people uh, talk you in uh, to opening the gates of your environment uh, under the banner of if you really loved me, uh, you would just let me uh, stay connected to you with all this talk. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I've got too much uh, in my field. Uh, I've got too much promise from God. Uh, I've got too much from God uh, to let anything uh, begin to corrupt uh, what God is doing uh, in my life. There's a culture of blessing. Don't, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand with, in the way of the sinner. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. And then there is the antithesis of this. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In other words, what he allows to influence his thinking is the word of God, not other people's feelings and not his own feelings. I'm not delighting in my own self. I'm delighting in the law of the Lord. It is God's word that is going to be what steers my thought process. It's going to be the word of God that guides my decision making. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Do you see the antithesis from the counsel of the ungodly affecting the thought process? I'm not allowing that to be what affects my mind. I'm going to let God's word affect. I'll tell you what some of us need to do. We need to get off of Facebook and get in the book. Come on, somebody. I'm not the evangelist tonight. I'm the pastor. Some of us need to get off of Facebook uh, and get in the book uh, and quit putting yourself uh, in environments uh, of toxicity uh, and environment. No, 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 no. You've got a higher calling in your life. Uh, you've got a blessing from God uh, that you're trying to cultivate. Uh. In his law doth he meditate day and night. Start reading your Bible and let the Word of God come alive in your, your thoughts. Some of us, if we practiced our finger ninja skills we got on Facebook, if we use those fingers in the Word of God like that, there's no telling what God could do in your life. Cultivating the blessing of God. In his law doth he meditate day and night. And here it is. Here is the subjective perspective of agriculture. And he shall be like a tree. He has now personified the idea of agriculture. And it's no longer objects, but it's a person. God looks at us and says, he shall be like a tree Planted, planted by the rivers of water. I love, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because in the wild, trees are not planted. 
Trees just spring up wherever the natural process of germination causes the seed to fall, wherever the wind blows, wherever the squirrel takes the seed and it drops and the tree springs up randomly based off of the, uh, the, the, the influence of nature. But to say that something is planted indicates that there is a divine placement. To say that something is planted means uh, I didn't just pop up here on accident. Uh, God said, I brought you to this place. Uh, I brought you to the ground where I knew the environment was right. I brought you to the place where I knew the right nutrients were there, where my word could take root in your life and cause you to become fruit. He shall be like a tree planted. What are we talking about? The culture of blessing. Your greatest potential of blessing comes when you get the revelation. This is where God placed me. This is where God planted me. This is the environment I need to be in. Oh, that's why I can't wait to get to the house of God. That's why I can't wait to get to pre-service prayer. Why? Because it's an environment, Brother Leal, where God's blessing is being cultivated in my life. I can't wait to run the aisles and dance. Why? Because this is the environment where God's blessing is being cultivated. I can't wait for the preaching of the word. Why? Because it's seeds uh, being dropped into my field uh, and it's being cultivated. Uh, every time the word goes forth, uh, there's a blessing in that word uh, that's going to grow up inside of my life uh, and begin to produce fruitfulness. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his Fruit, <laughs> agricultural terms, bringeth forth. The whole chapter is dealing with blessed is the man. There is a culture to blessing that bringeth forth his fruit. The whole purpose of the plant is so that it is fruitful. Jesus felt so strongly about this, he walked into one vineyard and there was a, a tree that had not produced any fig on it, any fruit, uh, and he said, cut it down and throw it in the fire. He said, I have no use for fruitlessness. There's an expectation of God that we produce fruit in our life. Come on, somebody. Now, we could spend a whole night talking about the kind of fruit uh, that God expects us to produce, uh, but God expects us uh, to be fruitful. And again, you can take this stuff all the way back to the beginning of time. Book of Genesis, after the flood, God, he creates man one time. He never creates man again. Why? Because he produced, he made him with the ability to reproduce, to be fruitful. He only creates man one time. So when he destroys man, what does he do? He leaves a seed. And as soon as they get off the ark, the first thing God says is, be fruitful and multiply. It is the intention of God that we are fruitful, that our life multiplies, that we bring forth fruit. God didn't intend for you to just take up space in the dirt and suck up nutrients uh, and never produce fruit. Uh, 
God never intended for us to get full of the Holy Ghost, uh, to be baptized in his name, uh, and to spend the rest of our life uh, sitting on a pew, uh, just ingesting good preaching, uh, ingesting good worship, uh, ingesting all the blessing. Uh, no, uh, God said the reason I planted you uh, was to get some fruit. Uh, the reason I watered you uh, was to get some fruit. Uh, the reason uh, that I worked around you uh, was so that you would be fruitful. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. The, the location was important. God didn't just plant the tree anywhere. He planted it by rivers of water. He said, I'm going to put you in the place with your greatest potential to access the water you need to grow. I'm going to put you next to a resource. God plants you in a place where the resources are there to maximize your potential. God plants you in a place uh, where the resources are flowing uh, within your reach. Uh, the resources are flowing uh, with a, if you want it, you can have it. Uh, if you've got a desire for it, uh, it's within your reach. Uh, if you can see my plan for you, uh, I've got it for you. Uh, right? He shall be like a tree uh, planted by the rivers of water. Bringeth forth his fruit. Somebody say his fruit. Your fruit may not be exactly the same as my fruit. Bible says you will know a tree by its fruit. By your fruits. And so this is why the Bible says that we are foolish when we compare ourselves among ourselves. It makes no sense for a lemon tree to look at an apple tree and say, why can't I have that? Why can't I be red? Why, why, why can't I have a nice stem like that? Why, why, why can't I taste sweet instead of sour? Why can't, the, the, you can't compare yourselves because God's doing a work in each and every one of us that's unique to who we are. And I'm going to get back to this in a second, but not only do you have to understand environment, you have to understand season. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bring forth his fruit. I'm not trying to bring forth your fruit. I'm trying to bring forth my fruit. I'm not in a competition with you. I'm in a competition with myself. That's Bible. Paul said, I have not yet apprehended that which I am apprehended of. But forgetting those things which are behind me, I press toward the mark for the prize. You don't just, you, a prize indicates competition. I want the prize. I want to win. But he wasn't competing against anybody else. He said, I want the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. He said, I know what my full potential should be. And I'm fighting against myself. I'm in a competition with myself to be better and better and try to be everything that God has called me to be. He'll bring forth his fruit. And here's the part. I preached everything I preached tonight because this is the part that I felt like God wanted to talk to us about. Music, you can come and give us some medicational music. <laughs> That's not a real word in case you're wondering. I don't want you to go try to use that tomorrow. Somebody. Well, Bishop said it. I thought it was a real word. He said, bring forth his fruit. In 
his season. This is important to understand because every tree has a season. Oh, and I love this because this is the part of the culture of blessing that you have to depend on God for. See, God's blessing is not him sitting up in the throne room of heaven like a magic genie just dropping blessings. And I like the same songs you like, blessing on blessing. Hey, every time I turn around. But God doesn't sit up in heaven just dropping blessings. There is an involvement of mankind in the process of cultivation. Genesis chapter 2 verse number 5 said that before the plants came from out of the ground, it said there was, there was no plants yet because God had not yet watered the earth and there was no man to till the ground. God's not just going to do his part and bring blessing without you doing your part. And so we have a personal responsibility to cultivate the blessing. We have, to, we have to check the ground. We have to check the environment. There's, and we could preach all kinds of things. We could talk about tithing and offering and its connection to God's blessing. But there's, there's all kinds of dynamics to this. But at the end of the day, when you get done doing everything you're supposed to do, you can, you can get that seed. You can prep the ground. You can fertilize. You can get the right water. You can put the seed in the ground. But at the end of the day, it's going to be God that causes that thing to come forth and be fruitful. And there is a part of God's blessing that requires us to wait on God. And if we're not careful, we'll get so hyped up in the doing our part that we want to keep pushing the buttons until it happens. And there comes a point in time where God says, you did everything I told you to do. Now you need to just trust me. I'm talking to somebody tonight on this Tuesday night. He'll, you'll bring forth the fruit. You can't do all that work, plant the seed, and come out the next day with a basket ready to pluck the fruit off the, the tree. You, you got to let God at this point, divinity, take over. Now let me synthesize this with the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3 says concerning the blessing of God. That he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. What is the devourer? The devourer is the, the caterpillar and the canker worm and the locust. The things that go through the field and eat the crops prematurely. Destroy the crops. God said there are some enemies that want to destroy the blessing that I put in your life. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. When you're doing what I've told you to do, I'll come to anything that's trying to steal your blessing and I'll destroy it. I'll keep it, I'll keep it from destroying the blessing in your life. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. But listen to this next, next part. He says, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time. You see, fruit is only good if it completes the process of maturation. If you go pull that apple off the tree while it's still little and green, 
and try to eat it, it's not sweet. It's nasty and it's bitter. Prematurely, when you try to pull a blessing off that hasn't come to season, instead of being a blessing, it will be a curse to you. Did you know there's some plants that if you try to eat the fruit before it's ready, it's actually poisonous and will kill you. You find this with Moses, who was called to be a deliverer. He was the Hebrew that was called to deliver his people out of Egypt. And from the time he's born, there's something inside of him that says, I'm, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew. I've got a call of God. And so one day he walks out and he finds, is this all right? Tonight, I'm almost finished. He sees a Hebrew and an Egyptian and they're fighting. And when he sees the Hebrew and the Egyptian fighting, it is a picture of the fight going on in himself. Because inside of Moses is an Egyptian Hebrew. And there's a struggle of identity. And when he sees the Egyptian trying to hurt the Hebrew, the call of God in his life stands up inside of him. Because he's called to deliver the Hebrew people from the Egyptians. And he acts out in his calling. And he delivers the Hebrew from the Egyptian. But it's premature. And because he acted preemptively and prematurely, he exercised the blessing prematurely. And he exercised it out of context. And instead of it bringing deliverance to God's people, it brought bondage to Moses. And he wandered in a wilderness for 40 years. Because when you pluck a fruit prematurely from the tree and you realize it's too early, you can't reattach it. You can't go back and say, oops, let me let it grow a little bit longer. Brother Tobias, you know what happens? If you pluck that thing too early and realize you just messed up the life cycle of that blessing, it has to die again. It has to go back in the ground. And the process has to start all over again. And I've watched people that don't have a revelation of the culture of blessing. Let their own appetite to have the blessing cause them to preemptively strive for things that God said it's not time yet. And instead of it being a blessing, they cause chaos. And they frustrate themselves. And they want to reattach it so they could just continue the process where they left off. But God said every time you do that, the cycle has to start over again. Whatever it was in you that could not be controlled. You see, the enemy will use your impatience to sabotage the blessing of God in your life. And what God tries to set up as a blessing becomes a curse because you're trying to partake of it prematurely. And so the cycle starts over again. I'm sorry. And there's some people who get frustrated with that process. And they can't trust God. And so... Once they do that two or three times in their life, they just give up. And they start blaming everybody else. Look at what they got and look what I don't have. You just didn't wait on God long enough. You just didn't have a revelation of the culture of blessing. Give me Bible for that. I'm glad you asked because the same chapter, Galatians chapter 6, verse number 7 
that said God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth. If you read two verses later in verse number 9, it says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, everybody's got a due season. Don't give up on God before your due season. Don't throw in the towel before your due season. Don't get bitter and angry before your due season. For in due season, ye shall reap if you faint not. If you don't give up and get discouraged, if you don't throw in the towel, there's a blessing that's coming your way. I don't know who I'm preaching to tonight, but I preached everything I preached to come and tell somebody, hold on because your blessing is on the way. Hold on. You've been praying. You've been doing what God's asked you to do. You've been faithful to God. You've been, come on somebody, and you've been looking around saying, when is it going to happen for me? When am I going to see? Get your eyes off of people. Get your eyes off of other things. Get your eyes back on God and understand the culture of blessing. You've got a due season that's coming your way if you'll be faithful, uh, if you'll remain steadfast, uh, if you won't faint, uh, if you'll keep doing what God said to do, uh, if you'll get the revelation uh, to be planted uh, because God's got me in the right environment uh, for me to grow, uh, if you'll just stay there uh, and delight yourself uh, in the law of God uh, and don't get distracted uh, by the counsel of the ungodly, uh, don't get distracted uh, by the way of the sinner, uh, don't get distracted uh, by the voice of the scornful you're going to bring forth your fruit in your season because there's a culture there's a culture of blessing I came to preach to somebody God doesn't walk around in the church picking favorites I'm going to bless this person real good and I'm going to let you sit over here and die that's a lie from the pits of hell what you need to do is get back on your knees and get in the word of God and say, God, teach me your ways. God, show me your ways. Help me to live according to your, it's a law of God, which means if you do what God said, it's going to work. It's the nature of God. Whether you like it or not, this is how God works. I wonder if there's anybody in here tonight that would lift your hands and begin to pray. I wonder if there's anybody in here tonight that the word of the Lord found you right where you're at and you've been praying you've been believing God for some things but there's been some voices that have come to you uh, try, trying to get you to question uh, try to get you to wonder try, trying to get you to get discouraged and, and maybe uh, maybe this way of life uh, just isn't worth it maybe, maybe it's just not cut out maybe, maybe I'm just not good enough maybe uh, I came to preach to you uh, that there is a culture uh, of blessing come on lift up your voice and begin to talk to him right now come on in the name of Jesus. Come on, maybe maybe there's some environments uh, that you've had in your life uh, that have caused you to be fruitless. Uh, maybe there's some environments in your life that have caused you to, to, 
to every time that the, the fruit wants to grow, it's stymied uh, because of the voices of influence. And maybe tonight God is saying, uh, if you'll come out, uh, if you'll come out from that influence, uh, if you'll come out from that connection, uh, I'm going to cause something to germinate in your spirit. Come on, I feel it in the Holy Ghost tonight. Come on. Come on, somebody talk to him right now. Somebody talk to him right now. Come on, that's it. Come on, that's it. God, I want to be fruitful. God, I want to produce the fruit that you designed me to produce. Come on, that's it. In the name of Jesus. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Somebody talk to him tonight. Somebody talk to him tonight. Come on, it's the culture of blood. Young man, uh, young man, don't you dare give up. Don't you dare throw in the towel. Don't you dare start sitting uh, in the seat of the scornful uh, and start mocking uh, people that are blessed. Uh, don't, don't you dare uh, start having a disdain in your spirit uh, for people that are walking. God's got a blessing for you. Uh, God's got something for you uh, if you'll focus on cultivation, uh, if you'll focus on the process. Uh, come on, you got to trust God. Uh, you've got to do what he told you to do uh, and then wait on him uh, and then trust him. Uh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, that's it. Talk to him tonight.
Come on, talk to him. Here I am, God. Work on me, God. Here I am, God. Work on me. Come on.
lift your hands. Come on, lift your hands.